Hello everyone, my name is Tom Anesta and welcome to the Ablative Grass Podcast. We are an artist services organization based in New York City offering an annual open call fellowship for socially engaged art projects that engage directly with communities. This episode is one of our fellowship workshops um, and they're designed for applicants for our ABOG fellowship for socially engaged art and include hands-on interactive approaches to helping artists with their proposals. This workshop will begin with a short presentation by ABOG fellows Kame Ayewa and Rashida Phillips, also known as Black Quantum Futurism. This is followed by a small group workshop to compare examples, which will be listed on our website, um, and they help troubleshoot how to write effectively about socially engaged art. Now let's get started. Here's the fellowship workshop with Black Quantum Futurism. My name is Deborah Fisher. I'm the uh, executive director of the Blade Grass. I'm thrilled that everybody's here tonight. I'm going to put this somewhere safe. Uh, hey, welcome. Come in. Uh, tonight's fellowship workshop is one of my favorite things that we do every year. And I'm going to run really quickly through. It's also a jam-packed uh, event. So I'm going to run through the program really quickly, and then we're going to get started. So uh, the fellowship tonight, what we're going to do is, is a little out of order. Uh, Black Quantum Futurism is going to be here. They're going to do a great presentation about their projects. They are on a late train, so they're going to they're going to come in a little late. And uh, so we're going to start the evening by talking off a little bit about what the fellowship is, uh, how to apply for it, how, how to make sure your project fits with the criteria that we have, right? Uh, and then Kamei and Shida are going to come and do a great presentation about their project as an example of a great fellowship project. And then everybody should have a bunch of handouts. Yeah? Does everybody have handouts? Yeah? Okay, cool. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to get some. One of the things that we find very consistently is that the last part of the workshop is going to be basically like a little writing workshop. Right? Uh, everybody's going to break up into small groups. Every, every, uh, you're going to get with uh, somebody who's on the staff here at the grass. We're going to read two examples of, of actual letters, 500 word letters that, that are turning into fellowships. And we're going to talk about uh, how they work. Because one of the things that we find pretty consistently is, is that socially engaged art is like possible to write about. Um, and that's by design, right? Like, um, one of the things that is going to be happening in every successful proposal is a lot of unknowns, for example, right? Like, so that, you know, if you're working with a community and they're re and really co-creating what you're doing with them in a collective, cooperative kind of way, then you won't you won't know everything that's going to happen in the future, right? Like, so how do you write about Right? Um, so we're going to talk about that, um, and we're going to use examples. So um, let me just start out by saying, so how many of your artists are thinking about applying for the fellowship? Okay, good. Um, I'm really happy that you guys are here. One of the things that we're going to focus on first, right, is um, what we're looking for and making sure that the fit is right. Because one of the most important parts of applying for anything is determining the fit, right? Um, 
it's really important to keep in mind that every single uh, organization or funder has actually an agenda of their own, right? Um, they have a mission and work that they're advancing. It's also true that every single open call is looking for specific criteria that advance that mission, right? Um, and that all institutional relationships or partnerships toward that shared mission. So applying for anything is really all about articulating uh, in a credible and exciting way that you are sharing your vision with this organization. We're just like any other arts institution. That's definitely a goal here. So in this presentation, what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe what the fellowship is, and we're going to talk about you know, the elements of fit. And then there's going to be a big question and answer session at the end. Uh, I'm going to start with, you know, what our goals are as an organization, right? What's our work? And I'm going to talk about what the fellowship is and what it is intended to achieve. And then I'm going to talk about our criteria a little bit and talk about what we're looking for in a partnership. And then I'm also going to talk, I'm going to end up kind of talking about what the most effective and ineffective things that applicants do when they're trying to declare that sense of shared vision, right? So, um, a blade of grass was founded uh, in 2011 and so we're a young organization. And what we're really focused on is building uh, audience for socially engaged art. Uh, and that can be very tricky because the work is happening somewhere else. It's happening in, um, you know, in ExxonMobil. So one of the things that we're very interested in is, is in addition to supporting socially engaged art projects, we're very interested in telling stories about them that are credible and interesting and that really amplify the value of this work to lots and lots of different kinds of people. Um, we want to do that for two reasons. One is we, we believe that this work is super important and we want to make sure that, that it, it's supported more. We use, uh, we use all of this to fundraise ourselves, right? And the other thing is uh, we're really looking to expand the roles that artists play in everyday life, right? Um, we're, we know that uh, not everybody's art is going into, say, a gallery or, you know, another exhibition context. So we're really interested in doing things like working with the Department of Cultural Affairs to make sure that, uh, you know, we understand when residency pilots that they're doing their work, right? Or um, making sure that we're creating alliances with, uh, with mostly foundations right now, but you know, this is going to grow and change, right? Like, so alliances with other organizations that are thinking about things like criminal justice or uh, the environment, right? So we're thinking about how um, to amplify the role of artists as leaders and uh, creative agents in everyday life, in a fairly broad sense of the word, right? So to do that, we're focusing on a pr pretty specific state in social practice. Can you uh, go to this, our state in social practice? So we're specifically interested in serving artists who are working in leadership roles and in partnership with communities in ways that are relevant in everyday life at an ambitious scale to enact social change, right? 
So uh, that means that we don't support everything that's social practice, right? Like there are tons and tons of things that we're that people are doing that are amazing that fall outside of this state. But we're really focused on this because it, it's a particularly good um, narrow focus for us to amplify what our circulating. We support this work through a fellowship that includes both direct support to your project, $20,000 of direct support that is unrestricted. You can use that, that money on uh, uh, paying yourself a fee, paying your rent, paying childcare, paying for uh, pizzas, right? Like meetings and uh, need food, right? Um, you can use it for anything. Uh, and we also have a very strong presentation stake. So it's kind of like, like if you were to think about like what a play press is, one way we describe it is that it's kind of like if Art 21 and Creative Capital kind of got together and made one organization that only focused on social practice, right? So that means that we care a lot when we're choosing projects about uh, the idea that we're going to help tell stories about it, right? That's something that we really care a lot about. These stories are a few different things. We make a short documentary film about each project. We do a 20-page ethnographic style assessment with a field researcher. Um, we do direct journalism about each project. Joan, can you show us um, the reports from the field? And all of this is accessible on our website, except for the ethnographic assessments. Those are internal. Oh, and then this, which is, we call it reports from the field. This is journalism. Uh, it's very simple, uh, you know, great, insightful, journalistic stories from the participants' perspective about projects. So uh, what we do is we just interview folks who are participating in the projects. This is some of the best stuff on our website. It's, it's actually a, a really indispensable resource for me when I talk about this work. Um, so you should feel free to look at it. All of this culminates every two years in a book. This is our very first book. This is a proof. We don't have it yet from the printers. I'm going to pass this around, but we need it back. At the end, we only have four. Um, so basically what our book does is it highlights every single project. It isolates you know, one of these participants' perspectives. It does a diagram about each project so that you can kind of look at it at a glance, even if it's uh, kind of, like all social practice projects, incredibly complex, dense network of relationships, right? Um, and it puts it alongside, you know, other thinkers about this work. You know, so participants in this book include Tom Finkelperl, uh, Greg Kester, Ben Davis, Charles Esch, Lara Reykjavich, it's like, you know, Rick Lowe. Oh. So, So we care a lot about um, you know, partnering with artists to tell these stories, right? Um, and we do that in, in direct relationship with each fellowship artist. Let's take a look at, uh, I'm gonna bring you one movie. This is a uh, 2014 fellow, Brett Cook, and his project, Reflections of Healing.
one that brings out hundreds of people, if not maybe a couple of thousand. It, it takes place in Bobby Hutton Park, and we're talking about the life that we're living next month. And in the building with us is one and only, one of our artists for now, Fred Cook. I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Thank you. The actual neighborhood that Life is Living takes place in because of the red lightning practices of banks and real estate companies was one of the few neighborhoods that black people could live in. And then when it got into the early 60s, it became the locus for the Panthers. So that legacy is still there. Now, our 
uh, application with somebody else, right? Like with other people. We don't do anything to um, manage it. We won't reassign you to another group. It's kind of like just one thing, time thing. We have a very small staff. But so far, it's been working very well for people. You know, so that's kind of a great resource to get uh, outside insight, meet new friends. You know, you can meet somebody from like across the country. It's like having a pen pal. Um, so, and if anybody comes up with ideas for this part, like as a, as a part while you're applying, right? I'm totally interested. So um, shoot your ideas about how to make this helpful or relevant, you know, in and of itself. Shoot them to me at info.bladeofgrass.com. I'm totally fascinated in how other people are approaching this. Uh, it's, it's something I think about a lot. Um, so, on to the meat criteria. Um, we have a really detailed and transparent website. And it, Joel, can we start at the top? Awesome. So, this again, we're redesigning our website right now, so this is all going to look really different in a couple of months, but all of this information will be here. At, at the very top, there's a link to the movement page. And we have lots of PDFs, right? The fellowship overview, how we decide. These are full of information about exactly what, these are the things that we send our selection committees, right? So that you're able to kind of start thinking about your application, knowing exactly what the criteria that they're being given are, right? Um, our mission is here, the work that we do. And then we have all of these drop downs. These all drop down and turn into real information. So really quickly, just to make sure we're all on the same page, we only fund socially engaged art projects. We don't fund exhibitions or, uh, uh, or kind of off, more object-making practices. Like, uh, you know, Brett is a painter, right? But part of the work that makes him eligible for our fellowship is definitely the part where he's talking to people and making the paintings together and then putting them into this park setting alongside the wellness clinic. That's the part we care. Um, one of the things that's really important to us is co-creation. It's something that we're going to talk about a lot and we can answer tons of questions about. Um, writing about co-creation can be particularly difficult. Uh, we value process over product. One of the things that we kind of strongly believe is that sharing the creative process directly with other people leads to very interesting societal results, right? Increased resiliency, potential, right, like, you know, social change happens. So, um, so we look for that. Um, and we fund our historical nationwide. We uh, hold four or half, whatever half is, right, half of our fellowships every year are available specifically for uh, New York City residents. The rest of them are available for everybody else. Um, so, uh, we talked a little bit about what we don't fund. That goes into what I just said. You can meet, you can link back to the fellows, and then we have eligibility requirements. Let's click on that, Joel. Okay, so the eligibility requirements are really, really basic. Um, I'm not going to read them all to you. The things to keep in mind are that the 
really important is that the desire they ask the really really successful proposals articulate a, a very specific answer a very specific question why does anybody want to participate it's one of the biggest um, it's one of the biggest questions when when reading like a bunch of letters like one after the other is why why do people want to participate in this what drives people
question of why do people want to participate, right? Because a, a very interesting thing that happens is, is people will rely on the fact that, that people have to participate in the school project, for example, right? Um, the last thing that I want to announce, can we go to the Contemplative Fellowship? Because we have a new fellowship this year that's a partnership with the Merit Foundation. We're really excited about it. It's called the Atlanta Brass Fellow for Fellowship for Contemplative Practice. This is a um, this is a separate fellowship that it's it's part of the same open call, but it's something that uh, does require you know self-selection on the Wuhu form, and you will wind up answering two separate questions about your relationship to your contemplative practice and it's and how it informs your art making. You or Check this out. Yes. Um, so the fellowship is specifically interested in questioning the relationship between social practice and contemplative practice. It's a three-year initiative, and so uh, and we're very curious, actually, about what it's going to yield, right? Because uh, the folks at Numera have a really clear sense that there's a strong between these things, they're fascinated by this, and we're and we're here to kind of watch artists and learn and grow, right? So this fellowship doesn't necessarily uh, need to include contemplative contemplative practice within a community, but it does absolutely need to uh, be driven by your individual contemplative practice. Does anybody here have a contemplative practice that's driving their work? Good. So um, there are a couple of specific extra questions to answer on that one. It's going to probably like it's a good idea to go ahead and give it a shot. It doesn't make you ineligible for a general fellowship if you decide to make yourself eligible for that one. So it's a good idea to try. Right? Yeah. You wind up applying for both automatically. It's important to us that we're focusing 
or just about Zen. It's about uh, how the most important part is that, uh, like say somebody who's applying to the somatic practice like yoga or tai chi or martial art would have to be able to very clearly articulate what, it, what this practice does for your existential well-being and your sense of self, right? It's not necessarily about um, your physical practice. What does it do for your mind? Yeah? Yes. So then we look, and those were, were, you know, screened as criminal justice entries. We wound up with two criminal justice fellows at the end of the day, and we named one of them the David Rockefeller Fund, right? So like, it doesn't necessarily, it's just a name. And is the, is the funding aspect? Same. They're exactly the same. Yeah. The, uh, the Mara Fellowship is going to be a little bit different They're, they have a more active interest in learning from the fellows, right? So they're going to be asking more questions. So like the way that your ethnographic field research winds up working would be, might be slightly different because they're going to be asking specific questions about the relationship between your contemplative practice and your social practice. But you don't necessarily need to get a bunch of people together and meditate together in order to be eligible for this. That's really the key takeaway. Yeah. So like Brett would be totally eligible. That's a great example. Yeah? Yeah. That would be considered contemplative, but it would not meet our 
criteria for social practice. It's in a museum, it's performance art, it's not co-created.
right? So it's about like representing, taking pictures of or doing video about a specific community in order to represent them or give, give voice, right? Like that we're not into that because they're not, they're just being represented, right? We're looking for something more creative. Does that answer your question? Wait, so, so you've got an idea, but you don't know who, who you're working on it with yet? Is that what you're saying? Oh, uh, yeah, you have an idea of who you're working with. Right? Yeah. We don't have a resource to um, reach a yes. specific community. Do you guys give up resources um, to specific communities that we can reach out to? In various... Like, different, like, projects? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that we do is um, we offer a lot of consulting services, right? Like, and so... We won't necessarily, and usually they work in the dimension of like, um, say you need to, make, say you're working on an alternative economy and you really want to meet bankers, like we could actually help you with that because that's, um, you know, we have a board who's really interested in how this work works and the way that we engage our board is by saying this is participatory art. So how do you want to participate, right? So like if we have, if we have a lawyer on our board who gives us great pro bono issue who do business, people who are architects, people who, yeah, stuff like that. 
that answer your question. Any other questions about the fellowship and applying and how to apply well? Yeah? Totally.
just keep doing the same thing over and over again, or does this represent like a meaningful new phase of evolution that we can all get excited about? Right. Yeah. And is there any aspect of budgeting that we need to worry about? Oh well, every project. If, yeah. If you get if you get to the full application round, right? Oh, I need to give you more details about this. All of this is also on the website, right? And one of the things that we want to do is like not read the website together, but there is a two-step process. The first process, it, the first step in this process is a 500-word letter of interest to the website. It's very minimal. We want to make sure that people don't break their neck over it. If you are, um, if you're chosen to submit a full application, basically we go from like 500 applications to about 50, right? So 50 people are, are asked to uh, submit a full application, and that includes much longer narrative, a budget, a timeline, like all of this stuff, because then we're really looking at like, is it really credible? Is it really gonna happen? Do they understand how many how many works in their project, right? Like, yeah. And, and we'll give you help with that, and we'll also give you very specific feedback. Yes. started off 
writer. Um, I would go to a lot of conventions and just, you know, be basically the only black woman in the room and just really be treated that way. Um, and so I wanted to start the Afrofuturism Fair as a way to create community in Philadelphia around the concepts of Afrofuturism, speculative fiction, um, and science fiction. But more than that, um, I really wanted to gain or make Afrofuturism find a way to make it accessible to the sort of people that I was serving in my community and the sort of people that we see on a daily basis who don't have access to those ideas, who don't have the internet, or who don't have the um, option of, you know, going on my blog or whatever and seeing all of these really fascinating, inspiring, empowering sort of images. Um, and so I started um, creating events in the community and, and we started doing workshops and things like that. Um, and then I also used it as a platform to launch my own um, science fiction stories and so I self-published a novel back in 2014. Um, and that's where Kamek came in. I mean, she was helping me um, with some of the Afrofuturist affair stuff. Um, but she also runs an event in Philadelphia called Walkers that's been going on for the last 10 years and showcases marginalized artists and, um, and musicians. And so, you know, it was sort of a natural collaboration um, for us to come together around some of these ideas. But she's a musician as well. And so what she did was she created this really amazing soundscape to my book. And from there, we were just like, oh, we got to do this for everything we ever do now. Um, and so we started um, writing, creating zines together around these concepts of Afrofuturism. Um, and sort of at the same time, um, I was wanting to evolve uh, myself or push beyond just Afrofuturism itself because I was starting to find that the more popular it got, the more commercialized it was getting and the more it was getting away from the people who need it and who, who should have, have it. Um, and so I was like, what's next? Um, and part of it was like, um, my books are, um, my sort of obsession is around physics and I saw quantum physics as like the next wave of things that we need to be talking about and we're thinking about. Um, and so I was like sitting around one day reading this H.G. Wells essay about the future and I was like, oh, I could totally like recreate this sort of thing but with my own, you know, thoughts around it. And so I created this like sort of manifesto essay called Black Quantum Futurism, um, which really ties in these concepts of um, quantum physics, um, Futurism and Afrofuturism and these ancient traditions of space-time um, that we find to be um, a lot more conducive to um, people who are oppressed um, in terms of just, I, I can't go through all of it without like doing a whole presentation about linear time constructs and how oppressive they are, but this was basically a way to think about alternative temporalities and alternative ways of experiencing time in ways that weren't as so oppressive for, for marginalized people. Um, that we were able to use this as a lens. So Black Quantum Futurism is a lens that inspires and uh, basically is the background to everything we do. So if I'm doing sound installations or, you know, we, we do all kinds of things, you know, as far as exhibiting our work, it all comes from this lens. So, you know, leading up, we're going to start talking about the project soon, but that's also through the Black Quantum workshops around these concepts, taking these workshops all over wherever we travel to, um, and we've been able to exhibit or present at any number of institutions or places. Um, we've been brought over to Europe, which was really amazing, um, to co-curate the Afrofuturism Festival over there, and we presented our films. And we, we do everything. Like, we do a little bit of everything. We're like Jack Dills of all trades. Um, Kume is a photographer and collage artist and, and does different things. 
like sort of my main artistic uh, outlet, but we do all sorts of things. And so we felt we feel very strongly that artist belongs to the community. It's not something that belongs in institutions. And there's this really great quote by Mary Galanta that says that art needs to be as general as your grocery store. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be in a community with the same rate as a grocery store needs to be. And we also know that grocery stores are also not in our community, but they need to be. Um, we live in a food desert ourselves. Um, and so we really just really build that concept very deeply and everything that we do is sort of takes on this holistic sense of like, we need to experience these things from different mediums. We need, people need to access these things from different ways. And so we create soundscapes to everything. We create, there's a literature piece that goes with everything. There's an imagery piece. Um, and you know, just from a sort of perspective of science, which we're working from, we want to hit you on all sort of levels. Um, so that's, that's basically what Black Common Futurism is and, and what it's manifested into. Um, so this is just a sort of example of some of the stuff that we do um, through Afrofuturism or Fair or Black Common Futurism. Um, as noted, uh, and we passed around a few, we have put out two um, collections of essays. Um, some have been, uh, both essays have, I mean, both collections have contributions from other visionary or experimental writers. Um, and um, this is a workshop that Kavay does. Um, this is a uh, workshop I do called Anthropology of Consciousness, where we go into different spaces where a lot of change and movement or protests or death have happened. So we're here at a site where Martin Luther King had a march that was almost like 60,000 people walking this, this area of Lancaster. You go there now, there's no anything that could remind you of it besides the mural, and then there's a bust of its head. So we went there, and what we do was like, um, I, don't, I don't like to use meditation, but I will for just this moment, of just feeling of what happened, reclaiming what's not told to you, what you feel in these different spaces. And uh, the one over here is we do uh, a performance art piece called Ritual Causality, so people are not only hearing us, they're also able to participate. And uh, this is from Rotterdam. Uh, so we do a lot of readings, you know, um, dealing with the same theme, themes, you know, time travel, the future, you know, housing. I mean, so. Um, and well, I'll note here that um, this workshop was part of our first residency experience, which was last year. And so we've only been working as a collective um, for a little under two years. With the title. Yeah, with the official. For two years. But um, like, we're common law, <laughs> artistic partners. You know what I mean? Um, and so we participated in our first residency slash fellowship. Um, in Philadelphia, it, it was a program called West Philadelphia Neighborhood Time Exchange Residency, and it was a first brand new program, um, and we were part of the, the first uh, cohort of folks. And that um, residency was unique in a sense that for every hour, so we were given studio, uh, basically studio space, and for every hour that we spent in that studio space, we had to exchange an hour with the community and go do a project that the community wanted us to work in. And so, the community in that particular community, which wasn't too far from where we live, um, will come in and request different sorts of projects um, for us to work on sort of collaboratively. So we created fairs for people. We went out to um, a school and did a, a zine, a series of zine workshops with 
with the students in their after school program and they created um, their own sort of time machines and future visions. Um, so we did Afrofuturism workshops with them. We, we curated a bunch of musical festivals. We created like a, a neighborhood walking tour brochure um, by request of one of the neighborhood organizations. So it was a really, really interesting and different experience um, for us. It was there was a lot of a lot of rough things that came up because it was a new program and it, in terms of you know some of the things that I think um, Deborah was talking about in terms of um, how the relationship with the community, how you're building that relationship, how you're treating them, whether or not you're treating them as objects or stuff, you know, all those things came up in, in really um, interesting ways for us. And also, um, one thing that I was really excited about with the Blade of Grass is like the staff that works here, they have experience with art. You know, I mean, I know that's a wild thing to be like, yeah, they should, it's a social change, you know, with working with artists, but when we were working, there was a lot of people that did not do art. More administrators. Yeah, administrators were like leading us. So it was kind of like, do you understand this? Or if I could say, oh, a community, this, uh, this venue wants a PA system. And they're like, a PA system? What's, how much does that cost? Like a couple hundred? It's like, where are, you know, we're just talking about like, okay, this place needs a mural. They're like, oh, you gotta call the city. And it's just like, there's other ways yeah. that this happens naturally in the community that you have no idea about. Mm -hmm. So that's. Another thing that was frustrating about them is that they were like trying to, in some cases, force themselves or ourselves onto people who didn't want our help. Like there was a barbershop across the street that didn't have a sign up. And so part of, and the other part of this program was that it's a gentrifying area and we felt like they were sort of clearing the path for people to come in and gentrify, you know, like white middle class people come in and live in that community. And so they're trying to nice it up for those people and not for the people who actually live there. So we had all sorts of issues with that. Um, and then, yeah, the barber shop across the street was like, I don't actually want a sign. And the, the administrator kept going over and like, hey, get this sign together so our block can look nice. And you know, it's just real trifling stuff that they were doing. So, um, but it was a great experience for us to know what we, you know. Yeah, and it definitely helped us to lead to this process. Yeah of just having some sort of uh, background in it. I think we're just going to go to our project. Yeah, and I'll just briefly mention that, um, so when I applied for that time exchange fellowship or residency last year, I had also applied for the grass that year as well, and I didn't, we didn't make it that year. Um, and I think um, why, the reason why is because we had not articulated a particular community, and I think that was one of the things that we changed about our application um, that then uh, obviously was successful. Um, so it was sort of the same project that we had, but it, it was not located in a specific community around a specific issue. Um, but then this year, what happened, um, and I'll just go into what our project is, what happened is that um, in our community where we live, we live about eight blocks from this neighborhood um, in North Philadelphia. Um, it's a neighborhood called known as Charleswood. Um, this neighborhood is one of the um, poorest neighborhoods in the city. Um, it's one of the highest crime rates in the city. Um, it's one of, it's, at the same time, it's also a rapidly gentrifying area of the city for actually those same reasons, because it's blighted and because there's lots of properties to buy up. Um, and so because of that, um, our local housing authority, the Philadelphia Housing Authority, which runs 
um, they got a contract essentially to redevelop that whole entire neighborhood. And in doing so, they're doing eminent domain on 1,300 properties um, and demolished two high rises and 100 low rises full of families that they then had to move across the city. Um, and as an attorney, um, working where I work, I actually represented a number of these people in this, in, 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 through this process and also ensured that you know, they, they had the protections that they needed. Um, and so it was just a right time. It was just a right, everything sort of came together and that you know, it was time again to apply for the blade of grass. This was happening. I was involved in it as an advocate. We're also community members living eight blocks from, from where this is happening. You know, I, I own my home eight blocks from this and like, was just out of the line of, of danger um, in terms of the eminent domain stuff. And so it, it, it was a really, um, you know, it, it was something that was just perfect um, for what we wanted to do through a blade of grass. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so primarily I'm a space maker, you know, so I've been, like Rashida said, I've been putting an event on for marginalized artists for like a decade. And what's happening in Philly, all the arts and all the spaces are in one area. This is the West Philadelphia area where uh, professors live and doctors live and all the hippies live. And it's like no one leaves that area. You ask someone, like, what's going on in that, anywhere else in the city, they couldn't even tell you, to be honest. So that's another thing that, like, is important to us. Like, this is where we, this is where our home is. You know, we want to have these events, these talks, you know, these what we call experiments, and this community, you know? And this gives, we were able to now have the agency to, you know, reclaim and awaken so much that has happened in this neighborhood. Like uh, right here, there was a boxing gym where Muhammad Ali would come to practice. You know, there was a main strip where like people like Teddy Pendergrass and Ira Tucker would come down and just get a Cadillac or, you know what I mean? Like it's so rich. Also right next to one of the biggest uh, riots that happened in Philadelphia, they actually changed the street name. You know, so it's like from Columbia to Cecil B. Moore Avenue. It's just the way that they um, erase memory in North Philly is incredible. Um, and so essentially what our project is um, over the next year, we are opening, we have opened a space in the community where everything is happening, um, right smack dab in front of these projects a couple blocks up. And we're calling it the Community Futures Lab. Um, what we're gonna be doing for the next year is recording um, oral history and oral future interviews with people. And, and the key part of it being oral future is to really, really tease out people's visions of what they want to see happen in that community. Um, and part of the thing I can go into this a little bit more, but part of the challenge of this project, obviously, is that people are gone. A lot of people are displaced. Um, but through this project and through our sort of advocacy surrounding this project, we can still be involved in the process of people coming back and getting their stories and, and capturing that and, and um, putting them out there. And so in addition to um, recording these oral history or future interviews, um, we're also doing a bunch of different memory preservation workshops out of the space, um, different housing resource workshops. Um, doing just about everything. I mean, we have an event coming up on the second, I, I call it event because that's just where I do a bunch of them. But it's not really an event, it's, called, it's like a walk-in workshop. 
you know, where we're going to have several workshops throughout the day, and it's just no pressure to the community. We're not saying, hey, we're here to teach you something. We're saying, hey, we need you to evolve, and you are important in, in this process, you know? It's kind of like reclaiming this idea of genius, you know, because I dropped out of art school, or I got kicked out of art school. Sorry, the lingo has been changing that sometimes. But you know, just about, and, and it goes back to quantum physics. It's like, are we not supposed to invest in this? Do we have to wait for some professor or some document to say that these things, that we can reclaim these things, and actually that our community members, our neighbors, have more insight than we've ever imagined into these topics, you know? So, yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other part of this, other aspect of this is documenting the process of the redevelopment, making sure that PHA is held to the standards, to the law, to what they promised that they've done. Um, because the history of public housing and these types of redevelopment projects, there's, um, in Philadelphia, there's a project called Eastwick um, that was one of the largest redevelopment projects in the country um, a, a couple decades ago. And those homes are now sinking into the ground. People are now, like, it, it's, it's really crazy and, and disgusting. Um, and that was also a, a sort of similar redevelopment project through the city and through um, the housing authority. And so we want to make sure history doesn't repeat itself, you know, to, as, to the best that, extent that we can as both artists, citizens, advocates, all of those things. And you, I mean, we find people throughout, besides this project, you know, Rashida gets asked to speak at different plays and just different places that we go, we find that people are screaming that I was there. You know, and it's, it's just so remarkable. They're like, yeah, we got kicked out because they're supposed to build the airport here. The airport never came. We're, you know, I'm still hurt by this. I'm still affected. And just listening to these stories, you're like, oh my goodness. I, you know, it's just like, exactly. And, and so, um, so much about the connection between displacement and trauma goes unspoken. Um, and so we really want to get at those ideas as well um, to talk about that and to talk about how poor people who are often displaced are the most traumatized through these sorts of things and have no ability to be able to plan for their future or think about their future or think about sort of generations after them. They're sort of stuck in this, these very temporal, narrow temporal bands. Um, and so, you know, all of those things are things that we're exploring through these projects. Um, we are fortunate to have six really outstanding interns uh, working with us this summer, all of them African-American, all of them coming from similar neighborhoods, even though they're not, none of them are from Philly, I don't think, but um, we've got a person from Baltimore, we've got people, and they go to like Penn and Temple and, and different schools in Philly, um, but they are really providing some really valuable insight um, to the project and helping us in terms of getting interviews and, and spreading the word about the project. Yeah, I mean, and also like giving us this new vision of, I'm sure some of you are artists or musicians and depend on your your friends to be like, no one's supporting me, you know, or I'm, that's stuff I go through, I'm maybe the only one. But it, it lets us know that there are other people that may not have heard of us or a fan of my music that are interested in helping. Because before, I'm like, when you say it, every time you say it, like we've got like five or six interns on that. <laughs> you know, like that happened. They came and they're interested. And you know, and the main thing they said, which we're saying, is that we want to be deeper involved in the community. And they don't know how to even do that. 
you know? Exactly. Um, and so the other sort of one of the outcomes, hopeful outcomes of this project um, is a third Black Crown Futurism book that uses this project as a case study that also incorporates um, things that we gather from the community. So as we said, we're going to be doing a lot of, our workshops are extremely interactive. We don't sit there and teach at people or talk at people. Um, so all of our things generate things with the community and for the community. So like this weekend, the workshops that we're having are going to be zine making workshops, writing workshops, um, and memory preservation workshops. And um, this is a sort of example of some of the stuff that gets generated from some of the workshops. Um, and these things have been exhibited in different like art spaces and galleries and things. Um, people's actual, you know, these are some of these are like future visions or, or past memories that people are reconfiguring um, through a technique that we developed um, called quantum mapping. Um, so these are the sort of things that we're going to be doing with the community and generate generating these visions um, from people. This is just some leftovers from another workshop. Um, Yes, I mean, we could open up to questions because maybe you maybe have something that you want to ask or figure out or about the application, which was just hard application. It wasn't a hard application, but honestly, in terms of that application didn't make me cry. I will say that. Um, and I have That's cried true. over That's true. applications. <laughs> the, neither time, actually, I don't cry. <laughs>
8 o'clock in the morning for 10 seconds. And I said, this is great. Like that was literally what I said a bunch of stuff, but that was what was shown on the news. So it's good to come and like talk about the project. And like they were saying in the beginning, like our project's not done. We're in the middle. We're deep in the middle of the project. You know, like we just had our opening for our space on the 18th of June. So I like this because it's given us an opportunity to you know expand, talk, figure out things amongst ourselves. Oh, you know, this went well, or from your questions, you know? It's, yeah, right? And also, um, I'll add that I just really, really value um, the way that the Lady Grass sort of respects where we come from, like our sort of, because we're not like standard artists, you know, like we don't have a practice necessarily, like where art is very um, grassroots sort of, in a sense, and, and um, things that we, we pull together, like I, I just, in the past, three or four years I've started considering myself an artist because of, you know, whatever, but um, I really appreciate that they respect that we're sort of emerging artists, we're sort of new at, at socially engaged art, our first residency was last year, you know, none of that was ever an issue, um, you know, it, it, it was about the work that we were doing. I mean, I would say it's new to being, like, the title yeah. of socially, because everything we do is socially engaged, right. I mean, but we just didn't do it with that one. The one person behind you was... Yeah, so we're not being funded or anything by any of the city officials, 
which I work with them is through my job um, formally. So like even actually this morning, um, I just met with the Philadelphia Housing Authority. Um, but I work sort of against them as an advocate. And in some, you know, in some situations that relationship changes to where we have to sort of collaborate, but we're not getting any funding from the Housing Authority or anything like that. And that's actually, um, I'll throw in something that has come up um, with this project. Um, people have been asking like, how are you guys getting funded? Are you working for the city? So, you know, um, that's something that, a challenge that we've had to sort of work through in terms of being very clear about where we're coming from and that, again, we're not just artists dropping in, getting paid to do something with y'all and then y'all don't see any benefit from it and then we leave, you know, where it, it's a different situation. Just to add on and not to blow up your spot, but um, so, like I was saying before this project or before we became fellows, like just today, Rashida's been working with something against the public housing, Philadelphia Housing uh, Association, authority or something. I know that, believe me, I do. But um, yeah, Rashida just won a battle that she's been fighting for, that's simple rights for people. So it's like, you know, that's just one thing. Like that's happening, that's been all year for her. That she won, you know, that victory without even this project. So it's not like something that we can be like, yeah, they gave us a cake. Now we can go into the community. It's like, no, we're doing this work regardless of any support or no support. Like, you know, it's just what's important to us to do. Like five or a hundred people come, we're going to do it. You know? We had a question, I'm sorry.
So like, so one of, so just a nice general tip is, uh, you know, just like avoiding art speak and jargon in your proposal, like just as a general rule, because people get sunk by the community organizer every time, like when they're, when they, when they start, you know, kind of speaking internally, like, you know, with their voice. Yeah. Mine's the participation in your, like, experiments. Did you have all
you everyone for listening. Remember, you can find additional resources for applying on our website. Um, and feel free to contact us at infoadabladeofgrass.org with any questions you have related to the fellowship or otherwise. Thanks. Mm-hmm.